Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, open them to the book of Genesis, chapter 7. Siete. I don't know how to say Genesis in Spanish. Anyone? Genesis. Genesis siete. Estamos en un series sobre Noah. Noé. Gracias. <laughs> Yo soy un poquito bilingüe esta noche. We'll read together Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. 10. And then we'll talk about the next couple chapters too. Let's uh, read Genesis 7. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of each kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. Let's pray together and then we'll dive into Genesis 7. Father, we've heard this uh, story so many times. The man Noah in the boat some of us have pictures of uh, little kids' toys with uh, animals on them or paintings or storybooks or picture Bibles. And yet we're reminded tonight that this really happened. Uh, that there was uh, one man who found himself righteous in your eyes and found himself chosen by you to be saved from judgment and death as he bobbed at the top of the waters and, and you remembered him. And from him and his offspring created many nations. We pray that you would help us to see uh, what this story means for us, what this story means in uh, our hearts, what the story means about you. Help us to worship you for who you truly are, uh, a God who loves us and redeems us, a God who is mighty and just and merciful. We pray these things in his name. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Amen. You ever have a hard time with the Bible? You know, people find out that you're a Christian. They're like, oh, you are a Christian. You believe the Bible? You're like, yeah, yeah. And you start getting embarrassed. Like, well, what do you mean? Why are you asking me that? Uh, sometimes it's embarrassing to be a person who believes the Bible. And this summer, uh, there was a band, a Christian band that came out. And they said, hey, just so everyone knows, we don't believe that this stuff really happened. They said, you know, we believe in God. We believe his son is Jesus. But don't ask us to believe that 6,000 years ago, God flooded the earth and made a boat and all the animals were on it and bobbed along it. We're not dumb. It's that any reasonable human being realizes that the Bible says a lot of things that aren't true. It created this big outcry like, hey, you can't say that. They're thinking, well, they said, what they said was, you know what? The Bible says a lot of things that we think are true, but you know, if you look at science and you look at what people know and you look at common sense, you know that you can't fit all those animals on that boat. 
You know that there was no flood 6,000 years ago. We know that human beings and animals evolved over millions and millions of years. We know that these are myths in scripture and no reasonable human being actually believes these things. And Christians were like, oh, don't say that. You're famous, you can't say that. Sometimes people come to us and ask us if we believe in the Bible and and we get embarrassed because we know what the culture thinks about the Bible. We can say, hey, the Bible says we should love people. And they say, doesn't the Bible also say you should kill people who sleep with each other? Like, well, yeah, that's the Old Testament. Like, well, do you believe in the Old Testament? Like, well, yeah, we believe in the Old Testament, but it's different. We start getting this tinge when people ask us because some parts of the Bible are hard to believe. And it's funny, I don't really understand where this band was coming from because I don't think the Noah story is the hardest thing to believe in the Bible. You know, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you also believe that God exists. That's hard to believe. You believe that God looked at the world and saw that it needed a savior and he put on human flesh and dwelt among us. That's harder to believe than a boat, in my opinion. You believe that the God-man walked the earth and he died on a cross and that paid the punishment for our sins because the father poured his wrath out on him. And when humans put him in the grave because he was God, he rose from the dead, did ministry with people, and then ascended into heaven and sat down on the throne of God and started reigning in this world through his people and through people who were not his people and changing things from his majestic throne. We believe that. That's hard to believe. For me, that's harder to believe than a boat floating in the waters. That's hard stuff to believe. But the fact remains that there are people who look at the scriptures and there are people who look at us and they might come to you, maybe they're at your work or they're in your family. They'll be at your Thanksgiving table and they'll say, hey, you believe the Bible, right? And they'll bring out some totally random thing about the Bible and you're going to have to defend the God. You have to defend the Bible. Defend that the floodwaters came. For me, I, I don't have that embarrassment about the Bible being true because, like I said, it takes faith to believe any of these things. For me, the, the thing that's hard for me is the way that people in the world view the God of the Bible when they ask those questions. You think about the Noah story, and we think of the pictures and the paintings. We think of little fluffy animals getting on the boat. Like, oh, what a cute story. Think of Noah who gets in this boat. It's like, this is going to be fun, right? It's like, what a sweet, sweet story. Have you ever thought about the Noah story from the perspective of everyone in the world who was not Noah? <laughs> this is a scary story. You know, we, we sometimes view the Noah story like God's great rescue plan, you know, like, like Noah was in enemy territory, like he was a Navy SEAL or something, you know, and it's like these Navy SEALs go on this mission and they go to go and kill this terrorist or something and one man gets caught hostage among the Navy SEALs while everyone else escapes and, and the U.S. government is coming in to bomb all the terrorists and this Navy SEAL is stuck hostage there and then finally at the last minute the helicopter comes and saves the Navy SEAL and brings him up into the air while the bombs drop underneath him and we go, yeah, the Navy SEAL, he's safe, he's just extracted. Yeah, yeah. And that's a cool story. That would be a good movie. You should write that movie. That's a cool movie. But... And maybe that's how you view the Noah story. Maybe that's how Christians view the Noah story. But if you're a person who uh, is not super excited about the Bible, who doesn't really believe in the Bible or the God of the Bible, 
That's not what the story sounds like. I mean, the story sounds like we're all just here in this world minding our own business and God says over the loudspeaker, just so you know, I'm going to murder all of you. And then just as the floodwaters are about to come, the helicopter comes and lands and grabs one guy and brings him up to the sky and then God starts squishing everybody else. That's the story. And so when we talk to people and they say, wait, you believe in the Bible? And we're like, yeah, I believe in the Bible. It's like, you believe this stuff happened? Yeah. So you believe that God murdered all of these people over and over and over again? You're like, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. Like a Navy SEAL, you know? And they're like, oh, yeah. So, okay. I'm a terrorist. I see what you're saying. Sometimes the Bible is hard to believe because when we look at what God does to people in the Bible— our friends and our family and our coworkers say, maybe they've told you this, that's not the kind of God I'd want to worship. I don't want to worship a God who'd kill his own children. I'm a father, I would never kill my children. Isn't the whole cornerstone of your faith a God who murders his own son? You want to worship a God like that? And it's hard because when people in the world look at our scriptures that we hold so dearly and we put the Noah thing on the, on the wall with a little painting and we let our kids talk about this story, right? Other people look at the story and they say, this is a story of judgment, a story of death, this is a story of destruction, this is a story of a God who did it. This is the story of Noah. It's a a story of floodwaters, a story of a humankind that was wiped out by the God of the humankind. Sometimes when we talk to people who are disagreeing with our faith, and they're saying, doesn't God do this? Doesn't God do that? Isn't your God the God who did this? Didn't God send the people into Canaan and say, kill every man, woman, and child? Didn't he say, show them no mercy? Didn't he say, use extreme prejudice or whatever? And, and we try to defend God. We say, oh, well, God was really mad that time, you know, or, oh, you don't understand how bad people were. Or, or, no, no, that was the God of the Old Testament. We start making up the fact that maybe there were two gods, right? And that's not true. Don't ever tell anyone that. But we tell people that. We say, well, Old Testament God was all about vengeance and anger and wrath. And the New Testament God's all about grace. But the New Testament God, Jesus, is the one in Revelation who comes back with a sword and kills everyone. And so we can't get around this stuff. And the interesting thing is that in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7 and throughout the Bible, God doesn't seem too interested in defending himself either. Now, the Noah story is not a story of God saying, I I had to do this, I'm so sorry, or I made a huge mistake here. God is like all throughout the story admitting that he's the one doing these things. And God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to destroy the world. It's funny, in all the other versions of the Noah story and other ancient pagan religions, the gods are kind of aloof and dumb. And the gods are up in heaven and playing craps or whatever. We talked about this the first week. And, and the gods decide, oh, I'm sick of the humans. Let's kill them, right? And then one human being finds out because one of the gods is like, I got to tell somebody. And he tells one of the human beings. And that human being kind of tricks the gods and finds a way to build this boat. And so what he does is he gets everyone in the community and he throws a big party and says, hey, free beer, true story, free beer, 
not true, but this is what they believe. Free beer down, down outside of the town. We're building a big boat. Come build a big boat. And so all the carpenters or everyone come. They're working on the boat and they're building this boat. They're like, what's the boat for? He's like, don't worry about it. And then finally, right before the floodwaters come, the Noah character gets inside the boat and everyone on the outside kind of pushes the door up and all of the sealers, like the people with that caulk stuff, they caulk the door closed so the water can't get in and then they all stand back and then they die. That's everybody else's story. And all the other human beings are kind of around and trying to help this thing happen. They're making the boat and the gods don't know what's going on until the very, very end of the story, except for that one God. In our story, you kind of wonder, okay, Noah builds this big boat and everyone else is going to die. And it seems like him and his family are alone for a hundred years building this big boat. And then he gets into the boat. Who's going to close the door? Who's going to be that person who's going to come and close the door and seal it up so that no water can get in? How's Noah going to secure that boat? And Genesis 7 tells us that when the boat was done, the day the floodgates of the heavens were opened and the rain started falling on the earth, This is verse 13. On that day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. God is not like mysteriously hiding before he like passive aggressively kills everyone. God comes to Noah, tells him what he's going to do. He says, all the animals will come. I will bring them. And then he says, hey, it's happening. Move into the ark. God ushers Noah and his family and all the animals and the birds and the creeping things. Everything with the breath of life in them. God pushes them into the ark. God closes the door. God shuts them in. And then God brings the waters. This is not a story of a God who says, hey, uh, oops. Oh, yeah, I I told him to do that, but I I didn't mean it. And then the water, I don't know. I accidentally hit a button in heaven. It's my bad, you know. (laughs) At the end of the pagan stories, all the gods come and they kind of apologize. And the Noah character kind of tells them off a little bit. That's not this story. We talked about that week one. The story where, where God is orchestrating the slaughter of every living thing that lives and moves on the earth. No wonder people say, you believe the Bible? Not like you believe it happened, but like you want to follow that God? A God who saves a couple people and squashes the rest? The way that Genesis 7 puts it is, that everything that had the breath of life in it died when the waters rose. I see the water coming up, the heavens opening up, and the floodgates bursting forth, and the water comes and covers and comes and covers and comes and covers and covers the tops of the mountains, and Noah's floating in the ark, and it's like all the bubbles are coming out of all the lungs of every living being on the earth, and finally the bubbles stop. People say, you want to worship a God who wants to hold his children underwater till they stop breathing? That's the God of the Bible. That's your God? It's your Bible? You believe that? Happy Thanksgiving. Pass the mashed potatoes. No church for me, thank you. I'll be fine as an atheist. 
There's a story in August from England of a woman who had a daughter who was born with several really bad health issues. She was blind, she had meningitis, all these different things. And the doctor said she's not going to live more than four years. And yet somehow miraculously, kind of, this girl stumbled through life for 12 years. And, and it wasn't a good existence for this little girl, but she was alive. And, and then 12 years into her life, she had kidney stones, something like that. And they had to do this little uh, surgery to remove them. And they just, the surgery went all wrong. And And this girl moved into the season of life where she was in excruciating pain 24 hours a day, every single day. The mom was there and they had to administer this painful treatment every day. And the only way to keep this girl alive was to really make her go through this painful experience every day, just to kind of, whatever it was, just to keep her alive, keep her alive, keep her alive, keep her alive. (laughs) And so a while into that process of her watching her daughter suffer every single day, she, she goes before the ethics board in the UK and she says, you've got to let my daughter die. You've got to let the doctor stop doing the treatment. You need to have mercy on this girl. She's in pain. Her quality of life is terrible. I see in her unseeing eyes, just agony all the time. She just needs peace. We, we need to let my daughter die. And in the first case in, in recorded history, the ethics board says, okay, let's, assist in the death of, of this 12-year-old. And so they stopped the treatments and they stopped the medication. And over the course of a couple weeks, this 12-year-old girl goes from being kept alive and kept alive and kept alive to the plug pulled and she passes away. And the mom said about the decision, it was the hardest decision ever, I ever had to make. She says, I know I made the right decision and I will never forgive myself for it. Can you imagine the agony of a mother saying, I I want my daughter to die? And whenever we talk about things like that, we argue about assisted suicide, or people say, you know what, I'm done, I'm done. I just, just when, if I ever get hurt, just pull the plug, right? And we say, listen, who are we to play God? Who are we to stop treatment and let someone pass away? Who are we to put poison in someone's veins and let them die? Even if they want to die, that's not our job. That's God's job to determine when every human being's last breath happens. We don't play God, only God plays God. And people who don't believe in God don't believe in playing God either. In a lot of ways, the Noah story is God playing God and saying it's time for all these people to perish I don't know if you've ever had to watch a loved one pass away or make that hard decision. You know, they're in their last days of life and they told you before they were that sick that if anything ever happens to just let them go to stop the treatment. You know, maybe they filled out that form. Maybe they didn't fill out that form. But now it's your decision. Do we treat this disease or we let this person pass away? That's a hard decision to make. It's hard to decide if it's a grandfather or it's a great-grandfather or if it's a brother or a child who you're going to say, yeah, pull the plug. That's hard. And we struggle with that because we feel like, okay, we need to err on the side of life because it's God's job to decide when people live and when people die. It's not our job. But when God decides when people die, we're mad at him (laughs) in the same way that we're mad at us when we decide if people die because death sucks. It's never fun. Some of you have had to decide to euthanize a pet that's hard, and you're crying, and you're like, what did I do? This is terrible. I just didn't want to spend the money on the surgery. What kind of person am I? Right? 
Oh, yeah, we love our pets. And yet Noah is a story of God euthanizing an entire planet. And when we talk about the story in Sunday school, we don't talk about that. <laughs> All we remember is Noah. Funny, after uh, in Genesis 7, the floodwaters come over the, over the surface of the earth and it rains and it rains and it rains. Then the rains stop, but the flood's still there and it's hovering over the earth. Noah's just bobbing around in the ark. You're going to wonder, what's Noah thinking in there? Filled with animals and his kids. I mean, if it was just me in a car with my kids for 150 days, I would be like pulling my hair out. So Noah, his kids, his daughters-in-law, his wife, all the animals and birds and stuff. Crazy. And he's in this boat. There's like no light probably. I don't know how that worked. And just bobbing in the ocean, bobbing in the ocean, bobbing in the ocean. And Noah's like, I hope God remembers us. <laughs> Are you there, God? It's me, Noah. Captain's log. <laughs> Floating in the ocean. Is this where we die? I just spent a hundred years making this boat. <laughs> and now I'm floating in it. I'm glad it worked. After the floodwaters were hovering over the surface of the earth for 150 days, Genesis 7 says that God remembered Noah. Not like God had forgotten Noah, but God remembered Noah. That this story for God was not a story where God was showing his muscle and killing people. This was, we talked about in the first week, this is God as the oncologist coming and saying, we need to do something just drastic to destroy all the sin and all the chaos and put this humankind out of its misery. And it's probably a hard decision, right? But God does this, he does the right thing and destroys the earth and, and his hope is in Noah. And Noah's in this boat and he's floating around and God remembers him. And Noah finally like cracks open a little piece and he throws a bird out. Like not to, like throws it in the water, but like lets a bird out like that. <laughs> lets a bird out. <laughs> the bird flies away. And I was like, oh no, the bird's gone. And then the bird <laughs> comes back like, no, are you serious? There's nowhere to go. Were you tricking me? Right? And birds didn't talk in those days or today, but did that and then I was like ah right so then he sends out another bird another type of bird and bird flies out and comes back with a freshly plucked olive leaf it's like ooh tree there's trees it's happening right the waters are going down and so then he lets out another bird and that bird never comes back because why would you go back to the ark if there's a place to land and Noah realizes that the dry land is appearing and so he pushes the kind of the top off of his casket that he was in or whatever and and God says to Noah come out of the ark and the waters recede and evaporate and recede and soak into the earth and recede and fall away and the dry ground appears and the same way that God had said Noah come into the ark God says Noah go out of the ark you and your wife and your kids you know and I love how he names all of those things like I just picture Noah's family like, we're not coming out again. We're not coming out again. We're saved. It's like, all of you, come out of the ark. Don't live in the ark. Come out of the ark. Come out of the ark. And the animals and the birds and the creeping things, everything that moves along the earth, bring them out of the ark and go and repopulate the world. Go, 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 go. Everything goes. And Noah comes out and lights a fire and kills some animals and makes a sacrifice to his God. 
you imagine if a time traveler showed up at that moment? We're breaking reality here. Time traveler shows up and just <laughs> Noah's there and the fire and these animals are like, whoa, flying away and there's carnage everywhere. You're like, is this some post-apocalyptic wasteland? What is this place? And it's like, hey, I'm Noah. You're like, hey, Noah, what's going on? Oh, man, there was a flood and everyone died and God killed everyone on the earth and it's just us left. It's like, whoa, are you serious? I heard that story. <laughs> well, what are you doing, Noah? And I was like, I'm worshiping God. The time traveler would say, why? Why would you worship God? You mean the God that killed everyone but you? And look around and see the corpses, see the bloated carcasses, see all these things, see the carnage in this world, see how you're the only one who survived the wrath of God? Why would you worship him? Why would you worship a God like that? Why would you worship a God who would destroy all these places? Why would you, why would you, just, why would you worship that God? And we picture Noah coming out of the ark like, yay, worship, worship, worship. God is great. But probably wasn't that like cheerful because of the craziness of what was going on. I imagine Noah coming out of the ark and thinking, okay, God is big <laughs> and God is scary <laughs> and God kills people. And God remembered me and God saved me and God has a plan for me and God told me to serve him and I know he's in charge. Let's worship him. You know, it's a different thing when you're Noah. You don't understand the mind of God when you're Noah. You don't know why all these people died when you're Noah. You know there was sin involved. You know there was wickedness. You know wickedness was reigning on the earth. You know all that, but you don't have everything figured out. All, all you know is that you realize you should be one of those dead people. And yet God saw fit to spare you. And he said, I have a plan for you. And I'm going to put you on this world to go and inhabit the thing. And I'm going to start off with you and your wife and your kids. And, and so you're scared of a God who's that big because he's big. And you know he's powerful. And you know he hates sin. But you're also so honored that he would save you and choose you. And you've experienced his mercy and his grace and his love and his redemption and his salvation from judgment. And so you worship him in this like, Amazing, spirit-filled, terrified, beautiful awe. The time traveler doesn't get that because the time traveler just sees the carnage and he sees you looking like some kind of brainwashed robot who wants to worship the murder god. But you know you're not a brainwashed robot. You know you've just experienced something amazing and it was scary, but you're alive and it's because of him and you don't get it, but you... You worship him. And that's why people are never going to understand the Bible when they're not believers is because they're looking at the Bible through time traveler eyes. They just look at the God who does bad stuff in the Bible. They say, I don't like this God. I don't like the God who kills stuff. I don't like the God who brings wrath. I don't like the God who brings judgment. You're like, well, Jesus died for your sin. They're like, I didn't ask him to. What sin? Did I do something? He didn't tell me I'm a sinner. I think I'm pretty good, right? And yet you, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're part of his community, you've come to the place in your own life where you've realized that, okay, there is a real God and he is really good and he is really big and, and yet you have just, you've ignored him your whole life and you've walked away from him and you deserve, you deserve 
chaos and wrath for that. And yet somehow he saw fit to pour that out on his son instead. And he chose you and he saved you through the judgment because of Jesus. And now you're alive with a mission to go and reach the world. And, and you don't understand all of it, but you know that you're a, a terrible sinner that's been received great grace. And so you worship him with awe. And then when you read the Bible, stories like Noah, you go, yes, yes, that's like what happened to me. The world was going to hell and, and God saw me and saw fit to open my eyes to the truth and he saved me from the wrath to come. Just like Noah, I see that. You look at Jesus and you see him walking the earth and being killed and you feel for him because you think, no, that's God. Don't you understand? You killed God. He, and then you realize he died for you and it fills you with awe and gravity and joy and amazement because God is big and he's huge and he's wonderful and he's terrifying and yet he's chosen you and saved you. When you want to go and tell people, do you understand that this world is filled with sin and it's killing us all, but there's a way out. And it's like you're that person who's got the cure for cancer and you're trying to give it to people. But people are like, I don't have cancer. Why are you trying to stab me with that needle, right? You're like, it's the cure for cancer. Like, I don't believe that. Get the needle away from me. And it doesn't make sense to them, but it makes sense to you because you've been in the ark. It's different for you. You're going to sit around the Thanksgiving table and people are going to make fun of you because you believe the Bible. There's nothing you can do about that. The book of Peter talks a lot about that. So people think it's strange that you don't sin with them people make fun of you for the way that you live. And people are going to poke at you and say bad things about you. and They're not going to get you. They're going to question the way you live. They're going to make fun of your morality. They're going to call you narrow-minded. They're going to do all those things. But, but when suffering comes into your life and you walk through it with hope, they will see that something real happened to you. And Peter says, always be prepared in that moment to give an answer to anyone who asks you in this world to give a reason for the hope that you have. Hey, we make fun of you all the time, and yet you just keep smiling. You seem like it hurts your feelings, but you never fight us back. You never try to beat us over the head with the Bible, and you don't seem like you have all the answers, but you've got hope. What is that? How do you worship the God of the Bible? Be prepared to tell them someday. Might not be this Thanksgiving. Might not be next Thanksgiving, but maybe someday. We spend our lives trying to create a theology that makes God look good. All we're going to do is change God into some God who's powerless to save and nobody wants him. But if you cling to the real God of Scripture, and you know that he's big and he's mighty and and he saved you. People aren't going to like that. They're going to call you all kinds of names. But the God that they don't get that you worship is a God who is truly powerful to save them when they realize they need that. And so we pray for that and we look for those opportunities and we don't bash people over the head. We live quietly and look for opportunities and pray for opportunities to bring people along and say, come and see, just come on up and see. Well, I'm happy to talk to you if you ever want to talk about it. Hey, I'm praying for you. I know that's hard, hey. Yeah, I don't have all the answers either, but I'd love to talk to you about it. When you've gone through the flood 
and you've come out on the other side, you know that the God is ultimately good who did that. And you don't know why everyone in the world is dead but you. You don't know why God chose you, but you know he's given you a mission to go and tell everyone that he wants to choose them too. And they're not going to like it, but we got to tell them. They're not going to get it, but we got to tell them. Because the gospel is good news, and what you do with good news is you proclaim it. And even when it doesn't seem like good news to people, you proclaim it anyway, and they laugh at you. You said, okay. One of the ways that God tells us to proclaim the death of the Lord is communion. And again, it's one of those things that doesn't make sense. How does eating proclaim? And yet there's something powerful about when God's people come together around a common thing. That's powerful. There's something mysteriously powerful about remembering in our own hearts the death of Jesus, that his blood was poured out for us, that his body was given for us. There's something powerful about remembering that in our own lives. And there's something powerful about being the type of people, like a people group who decided, you know what? Yeah, I, I need to eat to live. But you know what? I need to eat to live. Jesus, he keeps me alive. I remember when I eat this meal that it's not food that sustains me, but the breath that I have is from the Lord and Jesus sustains me. My whole life revolves around him. So tonight, if you're a believer in Jesus, it's an opportunity for you to come and remember the death of Christ. Remember that he plucked you out of the waters and put you in the ark and kept you safe for eternity. And in doing this, we proclaim that death. We remember that it's our our job to proclaim the good news, but we also do that even by celebrating this meal together. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Tonight, if you don't know Jesus, and maybe you've looked at the Bible like a time traveler for a long time and said, I don't get this God. Maybe you won't get this God until you know this God. And then you'll know that you still don't get this God completely. But maybe tonight's a night for you to ask some questions. To take someone out that brought you and say, okay, tell me how this works. Maybe tonight's the night that you come forward and get some prayer afterwards. Maybe tonight's the night that you say, you know what, I'm in. I'm in. I want Jesus. I need him. I cling to him. Wherever you are tonight, take that next step. Tonight is the time to do it. Peter tells us that the days of Noah are like the days of today, that people will be eating and drinking and getting married and all these things will be happening and boom, one day judgment will come. So it is true that every moment could be our last. Take advantage of this moment. Give your life to Jesus. Cling to him. Escape the floodwaters and step into a new life where you can be in relationship with the mighty God of the universe and reign with him forever. Let's pray together and then let's take communion.